this this weekend again uh, once a year in the um, I think started last year in the diocese started Safe Haven Sunday and so this weekend uh, this Sunday is Safe Haven Sunday so in the the homily we'll be speaking about um, explicit material I won't be using explicit language but speaking about explicit material speaking about it directly. So if um, anyone has any younger children with them and they, they don't want them to be in here, then you're welcome to step out. Um, if not, it's not a problem. So let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord, we give you permission to do whatever you desire. We pray that our minds, hearts, and souls may be fertile soil for your gospel, that your word may bear great fruit in our life. Illuminate the scriptures for us. Convict and console our hearts. Speak for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Today we read the gospel of the transfiguration of Christ. And we see in this moment, this transfiguration, that Jesus leads Peter, James, and John. He invites them up the mountain, and he is transfigured before them. That what was always present invisibly becomes visibly present. Christ was fully God and fully man, but you couldn't really see his divine nature and his humanity so directly. But on that day, on the top of the mountain... And it's just this manifestation of his divine nature in all its glory before them. And so he reveals to them very tangibly who he is as God, but in the human flesh. And not only revealing who he is, he reveals more of who we are. That we're created in God's image and likeness, and, and who we are in his image and likeness is a certain manifestation of God's goodness and glory. And so our honor and dignity and value and worth come from that. And it is manifest in our very bodies. St. John Paul II puts it this way. He says, the body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and divine it was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world, the invisible mystery hidden in God from time immemorial, and thus to be a sign of it. See, our bodies are part of our very nature as people, right, as humans. And they manifest our souls, our, our, our person, right? It's part of our person and manifests to others so that when we're looking for someone, and we see them walk by or they're over there in the classroom or their office. We don't be like, oh, there's Jim's body. But I'm not sure it's him. Let me go over and check and see that like his person is there. Like we know like there's a deep association because our bodies, right, are part of who we are. So there's this manifestation there. So John the Paul II will say about pornography that the problem with pornography is not that it reveals too much of the person but that it reveals far too little. 
I'll say that again. It might be shocking on face value, but pornography, the problem with pornography is not that it reveals too much of the person, but that it reveals far too little. What is he saying? Seeing that the purpose of pornography is not to reveal the beauty and the dignity and the irrepeatability of that individual person as a son or a daughter of God the Father. Worth to be honored, to be known, to be loved, and to be respected. But the purpose of pornography is to treat someone as an object of my pleasure. Like a video game or a candy bar whatever, right? They exist for my pleasure as an object. So it's not a revelation of too much of the person, but far too little because it doesn't reveal their dignity and value and worth. This, this also is um, made clear when, when uh, there are scientific studies that have been done. So there were some psychologists in Princeton University and they did a study, and what they did, they just, they brought, it was only men that they brought in, but they had these men that come in, and they monitored their medial prefrontal cortex when they showed them images. So what is the medial prefrontal cortex? It is the part of the brain that when you see an image of a person, it's the part of the brain that lights up when you recognize a face and then distinguish a person from a different person. So it's the, it's the part in the brain that allows you to recognize a face and then say, okay, that's a unique person who is not someone else. And so when they showed them images, then consistently, right, their medial prefrontal cortex would light up because they're recognizing a face in a person. However, when the subjects of the study were shown the pictures of scantily clothed people, this part of their brain was not activated. When they were showed scantily clothed people, the part of their brain that recognizes a face and distinguishes them as a person was not activated. And so essentially, right, the brain science is telling us that then what they were recognizing was not another person, but just a body or a sum of parts. Not someone to be loved, but something to be used. This is how our brain works and how pornography uses that. You see, pornography educates us as we use it, as we look at it. It's not something that's neutral, like, oh, it's safe. It's just me and my home. I'm not harming anyone. One, if you've ever done any research on the background of what goes on in the lives of the folks who are there, and particularly now, hopefully you saw some of the news that uh, a popular porn site over the pandemic it showed that they were getting underaged people, right? They were trafficking children to be put on pornography so that they could make money off of them. This was going on, right, with what's there. And even adults, like, it's just tragic stories. But personally, what's happening to the person who's viewing it? What's happening is that, again, it's teaching me, it's teaching me to look at people not as people, not as another person to love and to honor and to treat with dignity, but as someone to be used, something to be used. And John Paul II, again, he said, the opposite of love is not hatred, but use. Hatred is certainly bad, 
It's something that we never want to do. and It's something we want to turn from. But he said the opposite of love and not hatred, it is use. Why? Because hatred, at least I'm recognizing the other person as a person. But when I use someone, I'm relegating them to a subhuman status. You are not really on the same level as me. You don't exist to be loved and to be honored, to be seen, to be known, but to be used. And again, it teaches me this. And I take this wherever I go. So it's not just in the sexual realm, but in my friendships, it becomes easier for me to use someone in economic realities, whether I'm an employer, an employee. or like, Again, it becomes easier for me to use someone. We just kind of take a snapshot of the political reality in our culture right now. How difficult is it for folks to have a conversation and a debate with each other? Like to, to, to just sit down respectfully and debate ideas. No, because like it's so hard for me now in a pornified world to see someone as another person worth being listened to even if I disagree with them. But now they're just something else that I need to attack, right? It just filters all the way in through all parts of, of um, our culture. The statistics are, are pretty astonishing but maybe not surprising because we know of the prevalence in our own in our own life this was in 2014 and 16 so these are all statistics by now but from men 18 to 30 year olds to say that they admit to viewing pornography at least once a month 79 percent 18 to 30 year old men uh, 31 to 49 year old men 67 percent 50 to 68 49 percent women who say that they view at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 76%. Right? There's been this kind of notion that oh, it's only a male problem, but, but studies show that, like, no, the reality, it's, it's, it's both, right? It's just so prevalent. Part of that is why. Because the pornography industry exists to use anyone and everyone. They exist to make money. And what they actually do is they specifically target children. Because they know the child's brain is more affected by images than even an adult. And so if they can get a child, right, to, to get hooked on pornography early, then they know they have a lifelong customer. And so they deliberately um, will take websites that are seemingly like, um, like have no association whatsoever the name of it, what you think would be pornography and to do this and this, I'm not going to say what it is, right, because you might be curious, right, this and this.com, and, uh, and it's like somebody's trying to do research or whatever, and boom, next thing you know, you're on a porn site. And then, the, the, these, again, these children, maybe you, right, because the average first day of exposure is between 8 and 11 years old, between 8 and 11. So many of us in this room, probably between the ages of 8 and 11, were exposed to pornography, and, and, and has had an effect in our life, in our world. Um, and so what do, what do we do, right? Um, because it's addictive. If you, if again, studies on the brain, there's an amazing site, and it's, all, it's from a secular perspective, brain science, fightthenewdrug.org. Just really encourage you from, from a, a secular perspective on the brain science, fightthenewdrug.org. They, they talk about the, these brain studies. And it shows that when someone's looking at pornography, 
The same thing that happens in the brain when you snort cocaine happens when you view porn. So it's this extreme dopamine rush that's there and all the different chemicals that are firing when you shoot a line of cocaine are happening when you look at porn. And it begins to form a neural pathway there and it becomes a craving for this dopamine rush. And then, then as you use, right, you, you need more and more or something crazier and crazier to get the same amount of dopamine rush. And, it, and, it, and it's just really harmful, right? What are some of the other effects they show a 300% increase in infidelity in marriage. 300% increase. Porn use is a strong factor in over 50% of divorces in the U.S. It decreases sexual satisfaction and intimacy. Why a decrease in sexual satisfaction and intimacy? Because it's not real. And I begin to be conditioned by this fantasy world. And I begin to think that, I need to look and act like the people in this fantasy world. And my partner, my wife, my spouse needs to look and act like this person in the fantasy world. And there's a level of pressure and distortion of reality that's just not true. And then so when I get married and enter into an actual relationship, I'm like, whoa, this is, this is not like the fantasy world. And so then I, I lose the ability to experience joy and satisfaction in what is real. And what is real. It's, it's, it happens, I, 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 you know, as a priest, I walk with people uh, through this so much, and it's just incredible. Poor communication and conflict resolution. Why? Because it increases depression, anxiety. It decreases self-esteem and self-worth. causes people to isolate in loneliness, Right? It causes ED. It's connected directly to child exploitation and human trafficking. We talked about that already. It feeds a hookup culture where, again, I'm just using other people and they're using me. Um, now, what are we really looking for? What is someone really looking for here? It's not so much about the physical pleasure. That's an aspect of it for sure. But the greater longing is to be seen, to be known, to be loved, and to be received as a gift. That's what we really want. I want to be seen, I want to be known, I want to be loved, and I want to be received as a gift. And maybe I'm not feeling that in some way. And then so pornography presents itself as like, hey, I can fix your loneliness. I can fix you not feeling worthy or loved. And it's a strong, real temptation. But then we're there, and on the back end of it, we realize, like, gosh, I just feel worse now on the back end than I did before. Because it's not real. Um, and, and so where are we going to experience this, right? First, we need to recognize always, 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 like, just put a lot out there. It's, like, heavy stuff. It's real stuff, right? But the Lord loves you and loves me. And loves all of us. And no sin can make God stop loving us. It, it is, we think that the enemy wants us to think that he's called the deceiver and he fools us into thinking that our sin can make God stop loving us, but we don't have that kind of power. We just don't. So the Lord remains faithful in loving us. And we can experience great shame, right? And this, this is a particular sin that can cause someone to experience great shame. Like, and I want to hide and I want to recoil. And I want to recoil from the Lord. But 
When we do that, we're running from his mercy and we're running from healing. The enemy wants us to keep it, as, to keep it in the quiet, but when we reveal it to the light of God's love is where healing and mercy happens. Bringing it to his light, bringing it to prayer, inviting the Lord into that space, coming to the sacrament of reconciliation, coming to the sacrament of healing. I mean, the truth is that both pornography and what is usually associated with it, masturbation, are grave matter in terms of sin. So if I know that's true and I willingly do it, then I've committed a mortal sin. We just come on back. The Lord meets us right in there, like the prodigal father longing to take us back and to heal us and to restore us and to restore, right? It clouds how we see each other. Blessed the pure of heart for they shall see God. Sometimes I can't see God in myself or others because it's just this pornified gaze. And then as we go before the Lord, as we spend time before the Eucharist, as we pray with scripture, as we receive the sacraments, it heals our vision, lets us see rightly. So what are some tangible things we need to do? Again, the sacraments and prayer, confession and the Holy Eucharist. Come to confession regularly. Spend time in the Adoration Chapel. Spend time before the Lord. Spend time with the scriptures because they, we want to be seen, known, loved, and, and received as a gift by God primarily. He is the one who feeds that place in our heart. He sees us, knows us, loves us, receives us as a gift in prayer. The second thing, good, healthy relationships. It's good, healthy relationships and friendships that help pull us out of this, right? Pulls us out because we, when people see us, know us, and love us, and just like in our stuff, that's healing and a real, real intimacy. I think today there's like a, a real difficulty, almost like a pandemic of loneliness in some form or fashion because of so much of, the, of, of like the human brain and mind and heart was not created to have so much media. Like we just weren't. This is unprecedented in human history. And then the social media, we think, we look at it and it's like, oh my gosh, everybody's life is perfect but not mine. And so I'm so afraid to show any of my flaws to anyone that I just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. But that's not human. Now, we shouldn't go around telling everybody all our deep, darkest secrets, right? But we need to be appropriately vulnerable to people, and that actually feeds my self-confidence. So take this example. You got a guy all last semester, and this semester has been like, gosh, man, I keep seeing this girl on campus. She's so cute. I totally want to ask her out, man, like, but I, I'm afraid to. So I don't want to tell my friends because they're going to think I'm a wuss because I'm afraid to ask this girl out. And then finally one day he gets the courage. He's just like fed up. He's like tells his buddies like, oh, my gosh, like, man, I can't tell you. This girl, I'm like, I have this huge crush on this girl. I want to ask her out, but I'm so afraid because I think she might, like, might not say yes. I mean, what would I do? And then the guy's like, who is it? Oh, this girl. Oh, me too, man. Right? Same girl, dude. I've been thinking the same thing. And I thought if I told you, then you would think I was a wuss. Like, all right, wow. Like, we both are wusses. Okay, great. Like, you know? And, and then there's, like, this experience of, like, okay, it's not that bad. You know? Like, I'm not the only one. And, and then one of the guys is like, okay, well, sweet. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to ask her out today before you get there. Right? So um, it's just being appropriately vulnerable and good friendship is, like, healing. But we want to run to other things. And so, like, just don't be afraid to, again, don't tell the whole world all your stuff. That's, like, 
inappropriately vulnerable, right? But, but appropriate vulnerability is a really beautiful healing thing. Chastity, right? What do I need to do? Like, what do I need to stop listening to? What do I need to stop watching? What do I need to stop talking about? What are thoughts in my brain that I need to stop, I need to like move away from so that I can have a more chaste heart? To start fasting in general because it helps build self-control, you know, building self-control. Do I need to get a filter on my phone, a filter on my computer? Do I need an accountability partner, a support group, you know, that we can have in this? Do I need counseling? There are online programs to study the truth of what human sexuality is, particularly theology of the body. Like, what does it mean to be men and women in this beautiful sexual gift that the Lord has given us, but to be used in a particular way and to be seen and known? You can go on our website, go on the resource tab, and there's, we have uh, all these websites, cleanheart.org, integritystored.com, chastity.com, fightthenewdrug.org, so many great resources. If you're a parent, we have booklets for you called uh, Confident to help you walk with your children, right, in protecting your home, and then what happens if your child has been exposed and kind of where to go from there. Today on the Feast of the Transfiguration, we're talking about pornography. Why? <laughs> because in the Transfiguration, we see the glory of God manifest in the human body. The pornography, St. John Paul II says, it's not that it reveals too much of the human person, but that it reveals far too little. Because it teaches us in our brain, right, the medial prefrontal cortex, it turns it off. And then we see people as objects to be used. So let us enter into prayer. Let us enter into the sacraments. Let us live more chaste, temperate lives. Let us build deep friendship and study the truths of the faith. That the Lord can remove the veil from our eyes. That he can heal our hearts. That we can see him in others and ourselves. And then live chastity. And then therefore great joy in all of our relationships. Come Lord Jesus. Heal us and reveal to us your glory. You've been listening to the Christ the King at LSU podcast. If you would like to become a golden giver or learn more about what we do, please visit ctklsu.org.